Ooh, it's good to be back. Welcome, everyone. Who, who's here for the first time this year? Hands up. Hands up. Response time. Um, okay, there. Quite a lot. Quite a lot. Yeah, it's my first time, too. So it's lekker. Uh, well done for the guys that have stuck it out and have been here the whole time. Uh, we had a good time. We, had, we rested well. And uh, it's so good to be back. The last week or so, we really longed to be back. And the Lord has been laying some stuff on our hearts. And we're sensing some things happening. I'm a little bit loud. A little bit loud, Chad. Thanks. Um, and uh, I'd love to share them with you. I believe this is an exciting year. And I, we, I think we guess we say that every year. It's going to be a great year. I truly believe that. And I think the Lord's going to stretch us. I think it's going to be a great year in a different way. Um, he's going to be stretching us. So stay, stay nimble. Stay fluid. Uh, let's see what the Lord, what the Lord does. Um, there are many things going on. But He'll keep building us. Building us together. And it's not about just Jen. It's about the kingdom. He will build His kingdom. Whether it's in this congregation, whether it's around the world, whether it's in one family, whether it's in one person, whether it's one person at a time. Jesus died for each person individually. So even if it's for one person, God is going to move. And by grace, we want to be, we want to be part of that. So yeah, we, we drove back on Friday and it was the whole podcast. It was... It was Jeanette, my two daughters, even my mother-in-law, um, and the dog, and everything. And we were towing a boat, and it was just packed, and it was 40 degrees outside and driving long distance, and the roads were busy. You know, normal holiday return. And uh, thinking about the year and so on, and we, we stop at the place where we're going to overnight. Now, I get this. So, so we're driving through, like, maybe some dangerous areas and remote areas, so we're getting to, to Nisna to overnight on the, way, on the way back. And I stop, everybody gets out, and I need to just move my car a little bit further to park better. And I try and switch on the car again, and it is dead, dead, dead. Like nothing, not a click, not anything. And I'm, am I missing something? Is there a button I pressed? I'm not the best mechanic. Chris, you might have a solution. I was like, where's Chris when you need him? But nothing. It is dead as a doornail. No, and I thought, did I blow a fuse? Is there even a fuse that cuts everything off? I don't know. What? And I'm like, Lord, how is this possible? Turns out, at that moment, the battery just completely died. It went from working to dead. And I don't even know how that works. Chris can explain. But it could have happened anywhere in the previous two, three weeks with the family, the mother-in-law, and the dog, and everything in the car, in places where you maybe could have been in danger, uh, on a mountain pass where you couldn't stop. Like, it could have happened anywhere in 4,000 kilometers. It happened in the parking lot where we ended. It is incredible, and it's such a small thing, you might think, well, it's just a battery. But for, for me, it was this thing of, no, God is with us the whole time. And he goes ahead of us, even if we don't even pray for it. I mean, I wasn't praying, oh, Lord, please keep our battery, you know, of all the things you should pray for. That's not up there. And I was, so I wasn't. And I don't know if somebody does that, but I wasn't. And, but he was there. And it was one phone call. It was still another long story. I'm not going to waste your time with this. But 
God just put things in place to really solve everything. And he was just there. And it could have been so much worse. And I was just reminded again, he knows everything. He's ahead of us. Even the things we forget, the things we worry about, even the things we don't worry about and pray into, he's got those things. He's almighty. He goes ahead of us so we can trust him. I was reminded of that. I also find it's easy to forget. It's even easy to forget what the Lord has done. And it's easy to lose our devotion, especially over a time like, like we've had. I don't know about you, but over this, over this holiday time, think back, okay, I wasn't as close to the Lord as when I was in that really difficult time during the year. It seems that in times of prosperity, we're like, okay, no, we're going cool, and we don't draw as near to the Lord. You know, we love good times, but I don't know if those times are good for us. So I want to talk about remembering God and coming back in faith. It's a new year. For many of us, this, is the, this meeting is the start of the year, actually. And there are going to be lots of exciting things. And I would love us to start from the right starting block. Like start with the right posture of coming back to the Lord, remembering who He is. And you, you, see, that, you see that in the Word, uh, especially, uh, we're going we're gonna to be reading quite a bit today. Uh, yeah, from the Bible. And um, I hope, I'm actually hoping more and more that you bring your paper Bibles, because there's something about the rustling if you can't find the book of Judges, you know. Um, and we're going to be reading from the book of Judges. But throughout the Old Testament, the one thing that keeps on happening is the Israelites forget about God. If you go through the Old Testament, and I trust that most of you have read some of it, it says they have forgotten the Lord and they've turned to other gods. They've turned to idols over and over in Judges, in Hosea, in everywhere, even in the desert. It happened over and over. In the Bible, more than 1,200 times the word remember is mentioned. Why? Because people forget. In the same Bible, more than 300 times the word forget is mentioned. Now, and I, I tried to work out how many times the Israelites forgot about God. I couldn't. I just couldn't pinpoint it. But it was a lot. If you read through it, you think, oh, again, really? As soon as it goes well, as soon as there's prosperity, even if there was a big deliverance, a big saving, like a war, victory, a few years later, wow. And uh, you'd think, oh, don't they learn, you know? But how many of us over this season have forgotten God a little bit? Forgotten our devotions a little bit? And I really, really appreciate that you are here today. It means you haven't forgotten completely. It means that you are here and you're like, no, I'm devoted. It's a hot day. I could be on the beach. It's a lovely day, but I'm coming to church. So well done for that. So I'm not speaking as if all of us have fallen away. But there is a drifting. And I'd love to draw us together. That's the idea today. Draw us together so we can go forward into this year with the right posture towards the Lord. That's also why so many memorials were built in the Old Testament. Remember the, the Israelites crossed the Jordan. What's the first thing they did? They picked up rocks and they made a memorial. Often they're memorials. Why? To remember stuff. What memorials have we got? What's, what, why do we break bread? In 
remembrance of him. It's to make us remember, because if we don't do that stuff, we forget. God has put, he knows that about us, he's put those things in place. The thing about forgetting is, you can ruin the relationship. Lack of communication, any couple will tell you, ruins a relationship. And even friendships, in a moment, in a moment's neglect, a moment's wrong word or wrong understanding, can ruin a relationship forever. So something can happen to us and we can move away from the Lord for years and years. And only by His grace He draws us, He draws us back again. And the more we forget, the more we forget. And then sin becomes easier. Our hearts become a little bit more calloused. And, oh, this, this is probably okay. And the Holy Spirit is not as close. And you're not so sensitive. When I say calloused, you know what I mean? If you... If you uh, I started walking barefoot a lot on this, this holiday time we had. And after a while, your feet develop calluses. Eventually, you step in a thorn, and you're like, you don't even feel it. That's good if you're walking on thorns. But the problem is that thorn still makes a wound, and it, and it can be infected, and you don't even know about it because you've become calloused. And eventually, you, you might get an infection from that. That's what I mean. If you're not sensitive, it leads to sickness and death. So if your heart is not sensitive to what the Spirit is saying and doing, it leads to sickness and death. God doesn't want that for us. God loves us. He wants to lavish His love on us. He wants us close to Him for that. If, I, I mean, I'm not saying life is just awesome. If things, things do go wrong in life, but if things go wrong in your life and you don't have God... You have no one to lean on. Life just sucks. I'm not saying things will go well always with God, but then you have Him. It's much better to go through a hard life with the Lord than without Him. And He'll be there with you. Especially if you know you're wrong. If you know you're away from the Lord and He's wooing you back, but you, you, you're getting callous and you don't want to draw back. Maybe I'm speaking to some people here. But you know He wants you closer. You know you want to closer. Won't you allow him? So I want to read from Judges 6. Are you ready? We're going to read, we're going to read quite a bit. Um, so bear with me, please. This is the New Living Translation, Vaughan. Um, but you don't have to put it all up. Let's go. Oof, I should have brought my glasses. Okay. What's the number? Oh, that's too much. Whoa, okay. This is amazing. Who am I looking at? Okay. Okay, I'm going to stand like this. This is from six, Judges 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Again. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites fled to the mountains, where they made hiding places for themselves in caves and dens. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, oxen, and donkeys, these enemy hordes coming with their cattle and tents as thick as locusts. 
arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Bad times, eh? Why? They did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about God. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And God, in his grace, when they cry out, he responds. Verse 7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And he tells the history. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. So God explains in his grace, he explains why things are going bad, right? Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the oak tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Okay. So he's sitting under the tree, the angel of the Lord. Gideon, son of Joash, has been threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. So Gideon was, was hiding, but they had, to, they had to thresh wheat in the winepress. So they're in hiding, nothing, is, nothing good is happening. And the angel of the Lord is sitting under the tree. And then the angel of the Lord goes to Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, and he addresses him like this. So this is Gideon, who is cowardly hiding, okay? And he's threshing wheat in hiding. And the angel addresses him, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And I'm sure Gideon was like, talking to me? You know, like what? I bet you he's never been addressed as mighty hero. And he didn't think of himself as mighty hero. But God calls what is not there, but not there yet, and he calls it into being. That's what God does. He calls him mighty hero. And he might have thought, who are you? The question is, what is he calling us as a congregation, as people? What has he called you as? Evangelist, disciple, saint, preacher, apostle, healer, worker, whatever it is. What has he called us to? He's called us to many things. You might not even see it. I might not, we might not even see it. But God sees it. He calls us into what he had for us, not the way we are. And it's okay if we don't see what he sees yet. But let's listen to him. The question is, will we walk into that call? Will we, will we respond when he calls us? Okay, let's go on. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So Gideon replied, Sir, he thinks it's a sir. He doesn't think it's the Lord. Okay? If the Lord, then he challenges this 
this, um, what he thinks is a, is a man. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So he's desperate, and he's down. He's like, oh, we've been forsaken. We've been handed over. Nothing, is, nothing good is happening. Definitely hard times. Then the Lord turned to him and said, so the angel of the Lord turns into the Lord. Okay? The Lord turns to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So he tells Gideon, not, oh, my power is going to come upon you and, you know, like that He-Man master of the universe. Remember those, if you are 40 plus, you'll remember He-Man and the masters of the universe. And he grabs, he speaks an evil spell and then he gets muscles and he's like by the power of something. And he's suddenly strong, right? Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So anyway, that happened. And... But he tells him, come with the strength you have. You read that. Come with the strength you have. So if the Lord is telling us, come with the strength you have, what strength have you got now? Do you have some? Probably most of you feel, oh, it's hot. It's Sunday afternoon. I have to work. I don't have that much strength right now. God says, come with that. I can, be, I can make that work for you. Come with that. Come in the strength you have. And then he says, if I can see here. Then he says, I am sending you. That's what gives the authority. Come with that strength because I am sending you. I am the one sending you. It's under my authority that I'm sending you. So under his authority, we can do whatever he calls us to. With the strength we have, under his authority, he says, I am sending you. Where else in the Bible does it say, I'm sending you? Or I'm with you? Moses, quite a few. Where does he tell us? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He says, I'm the one sending you. Matthew 28, 18 says, All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Therefore, I am sending you, going to all the nations, baptizing them. There we go. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That's it, I'm sending you teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's God talking to us the way that, that the Lord spoke to Gideon. And he says, come in the strength you have. That's all he needs. He doesn't even need us. He chooses to use us. Okay. Then Gideon realizes who he's talking to, okay? Verse 15, he says, But Lord... How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. So he's the least of the least. The Lord said to him, just like in Matthew 28, 20, to us, I will be with you. Same thing he tells us. I will be with you. So it's the same command, but he, and the same assurance. Same authority, same God speaking who's not changing. I will be with you. And then he says, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Okay. It's at that point when Gideon gets a flicker of faith. 
for the first time in this whole story, he gets a flicker of faith. In 6.18, he asks God, let's, let's read on. If you're truly going to help me, Gideon asks, show me a sign to prove that is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. How, how kind and patient is the Lord? The Lord answered, the creator of everything, answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat and with half a bushel of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. So that is written quickly. I reckon that would have taken a few hours. Imagine the movie, running after a goat, like, hey, come here, come here, come here, quick, quick, quick. You know, it's like, think about it. Where's that flower? You know, you know I don't know if he's married. Honey, where's the flower? You know, what do you, why? Think about it. Like, you know, he had to, like, kill the goat and slaughter it. And, you know, you know, I don't know how they tenderize meat in those days, but how long they had to cook it, you know. And so he, so he does all that. Lord's still waiting. Okay. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the oak tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. First obedience. How's that? First obedience. There, only there. Gideon did as he was told. Okay. So he's obedient for the first time. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the staff with his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. I guess there must have been a thought like, you know how long I cooked that, you know? But the God, God responded, you know? He acted in obedience and a little bit of faith, and God was there. He accepted his offer, you know, his offering. He received it. Small obedience. God brings the fire, accepts it. Where do we have to start with small obediences? What are the small obediences that we need to be obedient to, <laughs> that we need to do or live that pleases God, that will make God accept those sacrifices? What, what are the things in your life? Just the small things. The small obedience was bring the food, put it on, Pour it out. And God responds. Okay, let's read on. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out. So he just realized. Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord speaks to him directly, ne? 23. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it, The Lord is Peace. The altar remains in Oprah in the land to this day. So he builds an altar. Why? So they don't forget. Immediately, he's getting, he's getting this thing. He's beginning to get this message of, We as a nation have forgotten this God. And... I need to make sure you remember this, the stuff that just happened here. Yo, okay. Then, gently, God calls him into the mall. Step by step, little bit. 25, that night the Lord said to Gideon, 
Take the second best bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hill, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar. Using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Okay, so that's a, a much bigger, a bigger thing to do. Much more obedience. Requires a bit of faith. It's a public thing. Because he knows there's going to be trouble. It requires more faith. But then what does he do? He doesn't do it himself. He still relies on man. He took, takes ten of his servants. And he did it at night because he was afraid. So it's still had fear. But he did it. But he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. He knew what would happen. So he wanted to do it, but he was afraid. It's okay to be afraid. I'm often afraid. It's okay to be afraid. It's, it's what we do with it that, that, that matters. So he was scared, but he still does it. It's a sign of high bravery potential if you are scared of something. But you knew you should do it, and you still do it. God can work with that. So he does that. I'm going to pick up a little bit of speed and not read, read every word here, even though I'm, I'm enjoying reading this. Um, he does that. And then the next day, if you read that further, the people want to kill him. So things are not going well suddenly. And he doesn't have to defend him. He doesn't, he doesn't have to defend him. God comes and defends him. Because his father speaks up. And he said, let Baal defend himself. Let Baal defend himself. So, so God fights for Gideon in that. And in that, people are being reminded of who the true God is. And he gets a new name. He gets, he gets to be called Jeroboam, which means let, God, let Baal fight for himself. So he's standing against the culture that they've developed. He's standing against what they've slid into and he's reminding. Gideon becomes a reminder of the God that they used to serve, of the culture they used to have. So that was a big faith step. I want to go on. Then things got worse. Verse 33 Soon afterwards, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel. So things got even worse, okay? Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. Doesn't look like he had much to do with this, okay? Verse 34, he took possession of Gideon. Gideon blew a ram's horn to call as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. So that, I think that kind of just, whoa, what happened there? He wakes up, there's a shofar next to him, and he's like, ooh, did I call all these people? Because he was literally possessed, the word says there. Then he doubts again, then he asks. He speaks to God, he says, if you are truly going to use me, little old me, to rescue Israel as you promised, Prove it to me in this way. And now this is where Gideon's fleece comes out. I'll quickly read through it. So after all that's happened, he still doubts. And he says, I will put some wool on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And it happened just that way. 
When Gideon got up the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. That should be a pretty good sign, right? Then Gideon said to God, look, he comes humble at least. Okay, he says, please don't be angry with me. But let me make one more request. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. It's cheeky, eh? Okay. But God is patient. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Okay, so that convinced Gideon. But how patient is the Lord? You know, you can say, you should have faith. So then... If you read further, Gideon starts and he takes the army up to fight, calls them together. But he got about 32,000 men together, which is a lot, you know. You guys keep looking up. Okay, he got about 32,000 men, men together. God tells him, it's way too many. It's way too many. You can take that off one. Thank you. He tells them it's way too many, 32,000. I won't get my glory. You'll think it's the men. You'll think it's by men's power that we won. So then Gideon tells them, if you are afraid or timid, you can go home. And 22,000 people, men, goes home. That's two-thirds. They go home. And they never shared in the glory. And what I got out of that is, I, I think I'm pretty risk-averse. And if you like me, we have to be careful because we might miss what the Lord wants to do through us because we're thinking, ooh, that's too risky. I'm not saying go crazy, okay? But some of us are risk-averse. We're just a bit timid. And it's maybe served us well, kept us safe. But Christianity is risky. It's risky. Like, if you don't like it, don't be a Christian, okay? It's risky. Or maybe you've had the wrong understanding of Christianity, but it is risky. And in this world, it's going to be getting a bit more risky if we do it right. If, it, if it's not getting risky, we're not doing it right. So if, like me, you're slightly risk-averse, just know that about yourself. So that when the Lord calls you and you know it's the Lord, then step out in it. That's the time you, you forget about risk. If it's the Lord calling you, I'm not saying be foolish, I'm not saying go, oh, I, I want to move somewhere and I feel the Lord is on it. Meantime, he's not on it at all. You know, the host pipe was lying in an S on the lawn. I'm going to Singapore. That's my sign. You know, it doesn't work like that. Okay. So if, if you feel timid, be careful not to miss what the good that God is calling you to. Eventually, God thins the men to 300 people. 300. I think you know the story. You can read it again. It's such a cool story. But he, he thins them down to 300 people. So the question I have for that is, for this year is, if it is in God, are we okay with being thinned? Are we okay with going with what God wants, even if it seems very risky? Are we okay with that? If it's for His glory. 7 verse 11. That night, God tells Gideon to go and fight. But before he goes, how kind is God? And even if the only thing you get out of this message is God's character. 
about how kind he is. He, after all this, after the fleece, after everything, he even has a new name. He goes and he tells, he tells Gideon, if you still have doubts, go down to the camp of the Midianites. Let's read that. Step on it. Jump, jump, step on it. All right. The Lord told him, get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. We can listen to that recording. It's probably much better than me, Marilise. Okay. Then God tells him this in verse 10. But if you are afraid to attack. Okay, so they like locusts. And Gideon has 300 men. And God tells him, if you are afraid to attack. I think he was afraid. Go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took, who is obedient, he goes into enemy lines, which is probably quite risky. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the outposts of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. This is big scale, epic movie kind of stuff. You know, you need CG for this. You can't have extras. Okay. Gideon crept up as a man. Gideon crept up as a man was telling his friend about a dream. Okay, so this man got a dream. He said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley, barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His friend said, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over all the armies united with Midian. I'm sorry, I think that dream can mean a hundred things. Really? I mean, think about it. It's a pretty random dream. Oh, no, no, it means Gideon is coming and he's killing us. You know? So God put a dream in the enemy's mind. Okay? That's how far ahead he is. And then he put an interpretation, which is a weird interpretation, into the enemy's friend's mind. Okay? And that interpretation and story spreads through the camp. It doesn't say so in the Bible, but you'll see why I say that later. Okay. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he thanked God. So God let that happen just to encourage him and to scare the Midianites, to prime them for failure, basically. So then he rushed to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianites. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn, and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, Keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. Okay, verse 19. Uh, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the outer edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the horns and broke their clay jars. Breaking their jars just reveals the light. So they switched the lights on, basically. It's like if you, these days it would be like a torch. That was it, okay? They didn't pick up a sword. 
Then all three groups blew their horns and blew their horns in their right hands and shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran. When the 300 Israelites blew their horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far as, be- as, far as Kathmandu and Pits on the Water. Okay. By putting their lights on, by putting their lights on and blowing a trumpet, people as many as locusts fight amongst each other. Who did the fighting? The Lord caused the, caused the Midianites to fight each other in confusion. Couldn't he have done it without Gideon? Psh. You're like, why is Gideon even there? You know? I think he shares his glory with those he has relationship with. Our God is a jealous God. And in the beginning, he says, you can't have so many warriors because I will not share my glory. But why does he involve Gideon at all? Why does he engage in a relationship? Why does he engage in a relationship with us? Because he loves us. He chooses it. And he shares his glory with those he's in relationship with. And the victory wasn't in the way that they thought. They thought they were going to have to fight. I mean, that's why they were scared. But when Jesus came, was his victory the way the disciples thought? Victory is not the way we may think. So Israel, from years of forgetting God, missing God, went from that to full courage, full devotion, full faith in Him, worshipping and devoting to Him. And my prayer and my hope for us is that we'll remember Him, that we'll draw back to Him, that we'll have this posture of a soldier. Lord, you're our commanding officer. Tell us what to do. Let we all respond. First in the small things, in obedience. But then in bigger and bigger things. I mean, look what he did with Gideon. That we'll come, it will bring the strength that we have. That we don't withhold the strength we have. But that we'll come with that. So can we draw near? Can we draw back to God? Can we recognize again who he is? How big he is? How powerful he is? Can we become devoted again to him? Merv, can you and your team come up again, please? I want to hand back to Nikki. But I want, to, I want to ask us before that, do we recognize what he's called us to? Will we be part of that 300 that God chooses? Or will we be part of the others that, that went home? Because I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that 300. I mean... Now they know they don't, didn't have to fight, but then they didn't know. So it might look scary. But can we remember, can we remember the Lord? Did that devotion, that joy of our salvation, of yes, Lord, we bow our knee to you. Can we live lives worthy of what he's called us to? Because he's called us too much.